Welcome to Week in Horror. You gotta be fucking kidding. The only podcast that will feed your horror need. The need to feed. With JL. Yeah, I'm a fucking masochist. I'll watch that shit. <laughs> Eugene. Somebody has to be the sex symbol, I'm sorry. Alex. Shit, I just demonetize this forever. And Johnny O. How do you like that shit? Got half of in a monologue. <laughs> Before unmuting myself. Golly, it's one of those fucking days. <laughs> With industry guests. Hi, this is Richard Oakes, director of Host. Hey, this is Adam Leader, director of Host. This is Matthew Mark Hunter. Hi, I'm Don and Ellie. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And this is Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! News, trivia, and more. One by one, we will take you. Join our live show Wednesdays at 7 central, youtube.com slash weekinhorror. And wherever you listen to podcasts, Week in Horror. Stay scared. Welcome, welcome, horror fans. It's Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time, and that means it's another time for another episode of the Weekend Horror Podcast. The only podcast where if you say our name in the mirror five times, you'll wish you were dead. And if you're listening to us, <laughs> your favorite podcast host. <laughs> kind of what you I can, intended. <laughs> you can join us here on YouTube for our live show so you two can get in on the bloody fun. What are you waiting for? Join us. This week we're covering select horror films released July 3rd through July 9th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm Eugene, and with me tonight are Johnny and JL. What up? Hey, hey, everyone. Oh, man. It's been an interesting week. Oh, so much stuff out there. You know what? You know, it's... We're here to talk about movies, damn it. Yeah, we're here to talk about movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that just there's movies. so much, there's so much wildness and craziness out there. It's time to have some fun and talk about some movies tonight. So, how? But but uh, other than all of the insanity and all like this, how have y'all? How have y'all been? Because um, y'all doing okay? <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you okay? Do you need a popsicle? Like. Would you would you like would you like a hug? <laughs> just just maybe a cuddle. <laughs> maybe just sit, sit down. You sit down, have some pizza and a good horror movie. Is that is that about what what will do it for you? What? A good what? A, a pizza and a cuddle. A pizza and a horror movie. Oh, a horror movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, either and, one could be a good time. That's what I'm yes, saying. I just true. wanted to make sure, you know. I wanted to know if I needed to bring a little extra cash or tip. That's all I'm saying. Well, a tip has to come regardless, so. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I'll tip her. <laughs> oh, but yeah, yeah. Let's let's uh let let's shake off the 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 wackiness, the the absurdity that's running around outside. And we'll talk about the absurdity in here, which is, of course, horror movies, which we love so much and so dearly. Before we dive into because there's one thing I want to talk to you all about, and I know you guys are going to have some strong opinions about this before we get into the movies this week. Um, so let's before we do that, before we dive into that, let's say hi to whoever's in the chat. Because I know that we got a, we had a little bit of a delay getting started. Sorry about that. Um, but I want to say hi. To, it's not my fault. I already told him it was your fault. I know you, you always tell me it's my fault. You're already you're 50 yards behind the bus at this point, dude. Negative, sir. I'm already at the I'm already at the goal line. 
<laughs> you were you were thrown in front of the bus, went under the bus. Now you're way back behind the bus, picking up, going. It's JL's fault. Still JL's fault. All right, let's see. We will. We'll, okay, so first and foremost, let's get this banner going. Bam! There's our amazing patrons, the ones to whom we owe the magnificent. Once we get into tonight's movies, you'll see why it's JL's fault. It's not. It, it, they're not that bad. The fact that you have to say they're not that bad means they're that bad. No, they're not. Oh, no, we've we've talked about worse. That's not exactly no, a ringing that. endorsement, <laughs> JL. <laughs> the, the bar, the bar is so much lower than you. <laughs> One of, two of these movies are close to that bar. Just so. anyway. Uh, so let's say hi. Oh, wait, where did my banner go? Where did the banner? There we go. There's the banner of all of our amazing patrons who help us to make the show the amazing thing that it has become. Let's say hi to uh, the people in the chat. Say hi, Travis Brown. Good to see you. Says, hey there, horror nerd. Good to see you, Travis Brown, one of our amazing patrons. Thank you so much for being here. We do appreciate it. Angel Rivera is also in the house. Good to see you, Angel Rivera. Thank you so much for being here. Says, what up, what up, horrorholics? I like that. We are horrorholics. Oh, yes. Good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. And let's see. Yeah, that was me. Yep, not gonna. I, that was me saying we're gonna be a slight delay. Not blaming anybody, but it's Johnny. Yep. Sarcasm's <laughs> <laughs> in the house. It's a slight delay. Translation: Johnny's not done eating. Uh, Actually, I think it was. Me, he was. He wasn't was, done driving. Yeah, I wasn't done driving on the home the way home from from work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But thank you for being here. Some of us actually have to work for a living, JL. I do work. I work my fucking uh, ass off. Your mother, you don't work. <laughs> you ain't got no job. <laughs> thank you for being here, Angel Rivera, one of our amazing patrons. And Sarcasm in the house is uh, you know, another one of our amazing patrons. Thank you so much for being here, Sarcasm. Cindy Johnson, good to see you. Thank you so much for being here as well, Cindy. We appreciate it. Mr. Malort, all the way from Chicago. Says, hello, fitness friends. Good to see you, Mr. Malord. Another one of our amazing supporters. And who else we got in here? Who else we got in here? I see Aaron Reese is hanging out in the chat. Thank you so much, you know, Aaron. We uh, speaking of Aaron Reese, Aaron, mm -hmm. I got your back on this one. We got to add him to the opening thing, Majigger. Oh, we, we do. do. Yeah, we do. And I and I, I'm looking for a line because I got to add him to the trailer for you. It's kind of like a, a radio yeah, promo. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I got to find a good line that I can add him in, and then of course he's and then. Um, uh, I got to find lines for all of us. That's the hard part: is going through the episodes looking for an appropriate line to give us all so for our intros. But I am I am trying to recut a brand. We got to get a new trailer going for season four anyway, right. along with the new artwork and um, all the other cool stuff coming along. You should just give us like lines just to say like ahead of time. Like, but that's that sounds. I, I like it like organic, you know, like the, like they do like you know on the radio when they just, they pull them from broadcasts. Yeah, they pull them from broadcasts after they go back and say. Eh, I don't like the way you said that line. Can you go ahead and give it to me again? Oh, that's a little bit better, but let's try it with a little more inflection here. Now, there's nothing. It's all fake. You know those guys are too. Yeah, that shit is totally off the cuff. Uh-huh, totally off. Well, they'll hear it off the cuff, but when they're going back to put the trailer together, you'll have a director in there that's like, mm, this, no, no, this, and yeah, no, it's hard. It's, it's, I mean, it's about as real a reality show. Exactly. Is this one of the secrets of the recording, uh, secrets of the radio industry that we're not aware of? Yes. Fucking hate how fake the Hollywood is, man. And <laughs> <laughs> someone picks up your set and moves Rawr! it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
Oh, let's see. Let's see who else we got in the house. Uh, see, Jinju is uh, arrived. Good to see you, Jinju. Says hello, everyone. When is it? When isn't it Johnny's fault? That's a goddamn hey. good question. You're that about to find out. I'm not the one who picks the movies. I'm just full disclosure. If I if it were, we would probably be watching something equally as bad. But because I didn't pick them, <laughs> because it depends upon what's available. That guy's fault. <laughs> it depends upon what is available, which is sometimes we have a mix and match. Sometimes all the movies are not great, and sometimes all the movies are fantastic. When has I mean, that happened? We've had a few where all of the movies were good. It's been like two shows out of seventy-five thousand. Out of 100, let's see, we're, the end of the month is uh, going to be like episode 150, so I think like <laughs> 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 You get one every 75 episodes. <laughs> we're trying to line up four solid films in a row, that's really hard. We, g- given our format, it's really, really difficult. Yeah. Well, how, easy, how easy is it to find four really shitty movies? Oh, that's that's so easy. That that's just that's just I, I, I could just throw a dart in the phone book in the in the dark. And I got it. We're good to go. I see Tony Regime is in the house. Good to see you, Tony Regime. Says hello, we can horror and panel alternative quantum energy sources. Thank you so much, Tony Regime. We do appreciate those ghosts. Thank you very, very much. Aaron Reese says, sorry for the silence. Wife was pushing knots out of my cargo net of a back. Oh, ouch. Ooh, yeah. Oh hang in there. That's how that feels. <laughs> and and he's announced another one of our big time supporters, uh, one of our longest uh, longest patrons. Thank you so much for being here, and Annie, we do appreciate it. And he's been contributing to Patreon for the long for the most time. Yeah, that's true. That's what I just said. God damn it, JL! Pick up on the fucking dirty jokes for crying out loud. Put your head in the gutter, JL. I, I, I <laughs> I'd like to thank Annie for being one of our longest patrons, and he supported us the most time too. Well, One of our longest supporters. Just never mind. Jay. Anyway, so good Dang, to see you. Got a big panga, you fucking dolt. Oh, <laughs> can I fucking get through this? No. <laughs> Dick. Sarcasm. Good to see you. I'm going to eat your whole head. Go ahead. I won't say anything else. Anyway. This is interesting because we were actually, before we went live, we were actually talking about Kubrick and Sarcastic Kubrickian theory of direction. That's mm. that's a weird coincidence. Yes, yeah. Jinju is right. This is 35,712 takes later. That's it. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Don Warner's in the house. Good to see you, Don. Thank you so much for being here. We do appreciate it. NANA, I will not attempt to define good when it comes to the context <laughs> of horror films. That we'll just it, It'll be like trying to determine if Nick Cage is a good or bad actor. You know, it's going to go insane. That's a community reference, if you didn't get that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then it says, We can order. Thanks. I don't need I don't need that. I just enjoy the show. Thank, oh, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. Okay, I do want to I do want to say something, though. I do want to say something in terms of in terms of catch up. And I don't I'm not going to give any details away. But for a second, I want to bring up the nail gun feature. No big news. Still waiting on some stuff, but we re- we had our dedicated um, special effects and makeup artist, and she went and she read the script. And like I said, no details, no spoilers, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. She got about about a third into the script, and she's like, "Okay, all right, I can. This this is going to be easy to do. Okay, I can hang. I can go and take it." And I was like, "Read further. <laughs> Keep going." <laughs> and then she responded with. 
<laughs> so all I'm saying is that when Nailgun gets made, y'all will be in for an amazing treat of lots of blood and gore, all practical effect. <laughs> It's yeah, gonna get nasty. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's gonna get wild. It's like, but you know, when when Eugene was telling me that, when Eugene was 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 uh was filling me in because Haley Haley messaged me, um after she read the script and uh she talked to Eugene. She's like, I'm thirty percent through, and now I'm just sitting here thinking, oh, just keep reading, mm. keep reading. It it gets it gets so much worse. <laughs> it just it, 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 it starts off. It starts off kind of easy. Or better. I think better would be. It gets so much better. It gets yeah. so much better. Yeah. Or it gets so much gnarlier. It's just yeah. like it's going mean, to get. Better or gnarly. I don't know. What, worse is like a negative connotation. But this is awesome. So. Well, worse is in the carnage being yeah, being well, displayed. True. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just, this, just a sheer amount of gore and blood. Oh, gallons upon gallons would be needed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Forward to that. Oh, it's going to be good. I can't. I, the one thing I'm, I'm looking forward to the whole thing, to the entire production. But the one thing that I, I want to see, I want to see, and I'm not giving away. I don't want to give too many spoilers. But you, you, I want to see the club scene. I'm only going to label it the club scene. That's it. Yes. And you don't yeah. know what kind of club we're talking about. No, no. no. I'm just going to. I, I, I mean, I'm going to say club. club. It'd be a golf club. <laughs> a country club. It could be a country club. <laughs> it could be a book club. It could be so a book we'll... club. It could be a club. <laughs> no. So I'll, I will let the audience's imaginations run with that, but uh, I I want to see the club scene shot because that will be that will be a, that will be amazing. So uh, hopefully, yep. slowly, but yeah, hopefully, eventually, we're going to have big news on that soon. Um, and of course, we're going to keep all of you abreast of it the minute it hits. So, yeah, I like it when we keep abreast. I mean, exciting what? times. Sally Skellington <laughs> is also in the house. Good to see you, Sally Skellington. Says, "Damn it, my computer's not working worth a damn." But you are here, and we saw you, so we appreciate you hanging out with us. Thank you so, so very, very much. And Sally, you've got to get me. You got to get us your shipping information. You get us your shipping, uh, your shipping details, so I can get you your weekend horror pint glass. Just you know, whenever you can, you can shoot it to weekendhorror at gmail.com or just hit hit us up at the send us a message at the weekend horror Discord, um, whichever's uh, easiest for you. So, before we dive into the movies tonight, oh boy, and this first one is 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 a doozy. So, I want to get y'all's opinion because it was recently uh, it was recently announced, and it's funny because you, you just said good evening, time for a quick reboot because we're gonna t- we're going to. I, just, I got three. I got three words you hoped you'd never hear. Lost Boys reboot. Stop it! You speak it into existence, and it's going to happen. <laughs> and this is coming from three assholes who are actively trying trying to reboot a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I am self-aware. <laughs> But we're not actively trying to reboot like Titanic or Jurassic Park or The Lost Boys for fuck's sake. I, I just why? Why? I just I feel like it's a giant infomercial and they're like, is this your favorite childhood movie? Do you really? want to see some executive producer shit all over it? Oh, here you go. Yeah, it's just absolutely killing me. So apparently, a new Lost Boys movie is in the works with um, Noah Jupe and Jaden Martell, the star. 
This was reported by the this was you know hit the Hollywood Reporter, and uh, it first was it, for the news first broke back uh, September of last year. Um, details have been scarce, uh, but uh, Randy McKinnon, who is writing, uh, Randy McKinnon, who wrote Static Shock for uh, who is writing Static Shock for Warner Brothers, is penning the movie while Jonathan Entwistle will direct will direct, and it's a brand new supposedly it's a brand new reimagined take on the '80s teen vampire classic. Um, Jade Martell, you remember him uh, from It? Yep. He was the older brother in It. And of course, you'll uh, know <laughs> Noah Jude, uh, Noah Jude from A Quiet Place. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. It's uh, it's being produced uh, under uh, the auto, under automatic. Uh, Brian Kavanaugh, Jones, and Fred Berger are producing, and they were behind uh, the indie Honey Boy and uh, the sci-fi thriller Distant. So, um, I honestly don't know. Uh, I don't know why they're it, the Lost Boys is one of Schumacher's best films. And, you know, you can't beat that ensemble cast. Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, Jamie Gertz, Alex Winter. Um, the, obviously, the two Corys, uh, Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. And then, of course, Diane Weiss, uh, Bernard Hughes, and Edward Herman. It just, you know, it was just a brilliantly written film. It was perfectly, uh, it was the quintessential 80s vampire flick. And well, what made it so good is that there was no, there was zero expectations behind it. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? That nobody's ever heard of this film before, and here it is. And all of a sudden, you have these great performances. Keeper Sutherland was—he wasn't the Keeper Sutherland that he became later on in his career. This is the beginning of that career. You know, this is before Corey Haim and Corey Feldman got interesting. We'll say, we'll say interesting. Keep it respectful. Um, <laughs> and there were some really good performances. And then that's what—that's what makes a good movie a good movie. It just comes out of nowhere. You know. Right. Uh, now they're saying, "Well, we're going to just use it's just like a cash grab." This is all this is that an oily or that an oily grab. bodybuilders with saxophones. <laughs> I, I mean, this, 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 this is the thing when you look at when you look at the Lost Boys, and you're right, it had no expectations on it, and so people just gave it at all. They knew what they wanted. This was before vampire movies were a super big thing. Like it was just it was just this gem that just came out of nowhere it was organic and, it happened naturally yeah, it mm -hmm. was and it's like stop remaking good movies you know remake track of the moonbeats remake manos hands of fate i will get excited about yeah. a manos hands of fate remake i absolutely i will if blumhouse or a24 wants to take a or stab anybody or anybody? Maybe Vision Line Productions or your favorite <laughs> studios or one of those places. I don't know. <laughs> hey, Gosh of, Gosh of Heckfire's in the house. Good to see you, Gosh of Heckfire. Says, how do y'all listen while cutting the grass? Well, better than you cutting the cheese. But hey, good to see you. Thank you so much for hanging out. We do appreciate I mean, it. At least cutting the cheese isn't as long and it's not as warm. <laughs> and Jinju, yes. Sweaty yeah. bodybuilder with saxophone <laughs> is a category on Upron. <laughs> It absolutely is. It if absolutely it, is a category. It is a searchable category. It absolutely is. Charlie Welch is in the house. Good to see you, Charlie Welch, the only man on the internet you never make a bet with. Thank you so much for being here, bud. We do appreciate it. So, uh, but yeah, um, I'm deeply concerned. The, the biggest thing, the, my biggest concern on this is is uh, the casting so far. Now, I don't have an issue. Jaden Martell or is he's a good he's a good actor. He's really good. He's got a lot of range. They they do the the kids do, 
I mean, I mean, well, they're not really kids. Well, they're kids. They're they're freaking kids. They're, but yeah, my, my issue is is that is that Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, Jamie Gertz, you know, all the entire cast, all of them when they went into the Lost Boys were they were all veteran actors. All of them had been in the industry for a for a really solid long amount for a solid amount of time, and they were bringing all of their and they're all they're all of them extremely talented. So they we have some extremely talented veteran actors at the time they did this coming in and bringing all this talent to this. So this right. this is before they you know a lot of them became like huge giant names. Yeah. And then but in this particular case, you have younger younger actors who are talented. But are predominantly being cast because the movies they made brought in money. You have Quiet Place and the It remake. Um, obviously, Drew and I mean, that's the whole. That's the big kind of thing. There is they 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 have a I mean, draw because you can't, you can't sit there and discount their casting because the movies they were in were good and they made money. That's kind of that's that's a real shitty way of looking at it because, I mean, that would be more of a testament to their acting, wouldn't it? The fact that they, uh, they were good. I'm sorry, but they yeah. look those kids were good. That was the best the best part about the it reboot were the kids. Hands down, by far the best part about it was those kids. And I've seen Jaden and he was in another movie called Saint Vincent with mm -hmm. uh, opposite of Bill Murray, and he fucking killed that role. He is a good actor. He is a maybe good it's because they're so young. I'm very uh, okay, but I think what it is, I'm I'm I feel I very protective. I feel very protective of of films of the eighties. That kid's and almost twenty years old. Holy shit! I didn't he realize looks that. like he's like twelve. He does. <laughs> and I'm over here. Maybe it's like the 40, maybe it's the visual aesthetic that I'm recoiling from. Maybe that's what it is. Well, um, you know, it's going to be that. It's going to be that new age visual aesthetic that kind of takes away from. I don't know. They might go. They might go more. You know, late eighty, like new age, late eighty, like Stranger Things look. You know what I mean? They might go that route. I think it would be it would work in their favor if they did. But see, the, 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 that brings a question: If they want an eighties aesthetic, we already have an eighties Lost Boys. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. What? Don't need to Why? don't need to redo it. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. It's, it's, that's what I think. It's, it's entirely possible. I'm willing to concede that I'm obviously I'm extremely biased. I'm biased against this. It's one of the films of my youth. It'd be like a remake of Flight of the Navigator, a remake of um, fucking Never Ending Story, or a remake of Labyrinth. You know, just you, there's certain there's certain properties you don't touch, and I don't they that messing with them is just going to make is just going to make it worse. It's going to be disrespectful to the work that was previously done, and trying to bank off the nostalgia is not going to play. Uh, the way they think it's going to play. Oh, it's going to sell. It's going to sell. The the people there's going to be more people that are going to hate watch this movie than the it's going to sell. People are going to watch it out in droves. It's going to do really well at the box office. Whether it's actually a good movie or not, that's beside the point. But it'll yeah. do well enough. It'll make money. This is a this is a guaranteed money maker right here. It, it's just it's a it's a cash grab, and there is no IP that is off limits. None. There's just, just just none. There, you're right. There are so many great movies that should never be touched, like The Princess Bride, Shawshank Redemption, and so forth and so forth. Princess Bride has been talked about more times than a little bit. It's almost happened, I think, it's, five times. It's it, it won't happen. The fandom will shoot that will shoot I, that I, down. I will burn Hollywood to the ground. So, yeah, now, if they did if they did a continuation set in the same universe, that I could stomach. I could stomach a continuation within the Princess Bride universe. Just like okay, so for example. Like they're not remaking Willow, 
they're doing a sequel to Willow that's set some, you know, 25, you know, however many years later, which I think is cool because then they can bring people back and they can show the progression of the characters and they, they can, we can get the nostalgia, but we can get new storytelling. And that, so that's why I'm behind the Willow series, the, the Willow series that's coming out. I'd be like, fuck yeah, because now we're getting a much older Willow. He, you know, he's advanced along in the character arc and then we can see where he's at now and you can bring, bring back all the characters that were there originally and we get hints from the past movie but we get new stuff i love that that's fantastic but you know just a flat out straight up remake mm, you're screwed yeah. this the same reason why we're not we're not terribly excited about the christine remake mm. you know especially given the Firestarter remake that we just got mm. so see exactly and that's why when you look at like top gun who's been the big blockbuster this year it's a great it takes good homage to the original and it has these little callbacks on it but it's a continuation it's a fresh new story you have fresh cast you have oh, this whole thing that makes that movie work very well at least they're not doing shot by shot remakes that's that's all i can say yeah you mean those. like cabin fever and cabin fever yeah and the fucked up thing it was cabin fever it was eli ross cabin fever and Eli Roth's Cabin Fever was like, why the fuck did you just make the same movie again, dude? You've got money. You can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> and you, remake, you make a movie you already made. You're going to sit here and you think we're going to try and hash out what goes on in Eli Roth's mind? Come on. Fucking Come on, son. Malt, pops, and bong resin. <laughs> what is it I like mean, to go into a movie where you already know exactly how you're going to make it? Like, the spectrum of his mind, the spectrum of his mind goes from Cabin Fever to the bear Jew with hostile in between. So there's no telling what's happening is happening in there somewhere. <laughs> I want to see him do like a rom-com next. Like it's like some like kind of like title, like some horror what you title don't realize, with Eli Roth. And then it's just a rom-com and no one what dies. You, what you don't realize is that his character in Inglorious Bastards was his rom-com. There's a lot of love that went into that role. I, I really love doing this. <laughs> I really love doing this. And it's hilarious how I do it. So technically it was. <laughs> oh, man. I know we're all right now. We're, we're beating a dead horse here. I guess we don't want it. Uh, yes. So yeah. Rodinella's uh, name is in the house. Good to see you, Rodinella's name. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it says, like the Evil Dead remake, it did something different with the source material. Agreed. Yes. Uh, the the Evil Dead uh, was more, what they considered it, what uh, Fede Alvarez said, it was more of a continuation within the same universe. So that. Then he goes and has the heroin do almost the exact same things that bruce campbell did it, they're, they're, like I said, it's paying homage hitting the notes that we love in an evil dead film while bringing us new stuff so yeah she and plus have to have her arm cut and off plus and then... she went she but she lost her hand in a far worse way than bruce campbell ever did <laughs> bruce campbell just saw that shit off she pulled her hand off and that's horrible mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. It just they could have done something different. Yeah, I mean, that's that's close to 127 hours where you have to like, <laughs> set far without. <laughs> oh, why did you remind me of, of Deadpool? It's like you ever seen 127 hours? Spoiler alert! <laughs> oh, that's the money shot. <laughs> 
Oh, Raven Darkstar is in the house. Good to see you, Raven Darkstar. Thank you so much for being here. And Elizabeth Sylvester as well. Good to see you, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for hanging out. Awesome. So how about this? Yeah, we're about, we're about ready. We beat it. To, so let us know. We beat it. Like I said, Johnny said we beat a dead horse. Let us know in the comments or, of course, at weekendhorror at gmail.com. What do you think of the upcoming uh, Lost Boys reboot? Do you have hope for it? Do you not? Are you 50-50, like, kind of like we are? Um, I'm kind of 50-50 on it, given, uh, you know, same, same with, like, the Christine remake. Of course, we were disappointed by the Firestarter remake, you know, uh, and the fact that Blumhouse is not behind this. Um, I don't know where it's going to go. Uh, Warner Brothers has a pretty spotty track record, in my opinion. So let's, uh, so I guess, let us know what you think, you know, in the comments below, or of course, at weekendhorrorgmail.com. I want to see Diagnosis Horror as well, is in that chat. It says, I don't want any remakes, but I want more Freddy in my life. I really wish they would make more movies similar to the Dream Warriors era. The, Dream Warriors is my is my favorite of the Friday films. It That's is. everybody's favorite. Yeah. Especially yeah. favorite sequel uh, in a horror film is Dream Warriors. This is so well done. Plus yeah. Patricia Arquette. Mm. I am more into, what's your name, the junkie. Oh, uh, um, she had Tara, a birthday recently. Tara, um, God, what's her name? Oh, Tar, is it Tara and Tara? Fucking hell, I can't remember her name. Yeah, this is the part we'll cut out for the, uh... <laughs> <laughs> for, for editing? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that is, uh, who you uh, son of a bitch. Yeah, no, I can't believe this. I can't believe I forgot her name. Tara, uh, Jennifer Rubin. As Taryn, as uh, Taryn yes. White, yeah, Taryn White. Yeah, I, I had her character name mixed up. That's why I couldn't remember her actual name. <laughs> but yeah, Jennifer Rubin. I think uh, uh, she. I think yeah, she recently had a birthday. Um, I think because because she, she came up in the Daily Splatter. So. Oh yeah, that's why I remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, fine. I'll talk about this movie. God damn it. <laughs> what? Like <do> <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. What do we have? What do we have first? Release. What was this? 2018. Was this 2018? Mm-hmm. Uh, release in 2018. We have the Christopher Ray led Minutes to Midnight. Let's check out this amazing trailer. Huh. Well, that happened. <laughs> That's a movie. <laughs> Minutes to Midnight, directed by Christopher Ray. Written by Victoria Dottie, good lord, and Christopher M. Don. Don Daddy, fucking hell. Uh, starring, if we can say this, William Baldwin, Richard Gecko, Bill Mosley. Did you say Gecko? Oh, gives a shit. Greco, Gecko. Greco! What the hell is. You're a child you know of the 80s! I am a child of the 80s. I am a child of the 80s, which is why I didn't want to actually say his name correctly because I don't want him being associated with this fucking movie. It's, no, I, I was always like, oh, Oh my God, kids! It's Richard Rico. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason, the only reason he's in that movie is because he didn't want to get sued. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So on the cusp of New Year's Eve, seven friends and a mysterious. There's other names in there. Shut you gotta up. give him. You gotta no. give him the. the come up. on, you gotta tell him. You gotta tell him. For fuck's you guys really want to know who's in this piece of shit? Uh, Christopher <laughs> Judge, John Hannigan, Don McSwan, Mercy Malik, Bryce Draper, Sarah Fletcher. For fuck's sake, that's that's all you get. And Bill Mosley. I already said Bill Mosley. You didn't say Bill Mosley. Yes, I did say Bill Mosley. You're going to have to rewind the tape, motherfucker. I said Bill Mosley. I don't think you did. I know I did. I'll bet you lunch. 
Mm-hmm. I know the answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, then I didn't hear. Huh? I didn't hear huh? you say. Huh? Huh? Is it, is oh, it you're you're you you're walking back already. I don't. I know. I didn't hear on. you say you it. I didn't hear you say it. You can do it. You can do uh, it. Do you, oh, you talk about? No, I'm over wait. here. Are we doing that? Uh, wait, wait. Uh, there it is. All right, cool. <laughs> For all the people on. who are listening to the podcast, <laughs> not live on the stream. <laughs> anyway, seven on the cusp of you see seven friends in mysterious backpacking birds at a desolate ski lodge in the mountains when they are systematically hunted down by ruthless masked men, mind you, multiple, with a cryptic agenda. Mm-hmm. Is it cryptic, though? Is it really that cryptic? No, it's it's not that cryptic. Oh, and uh, uh, <laughs> I see uh, Flat Derp is in there. It's good to see you. Flat Derp says, "What up? Thank you so much for being here, buddy. You gave me just a, just in the in the nick of time for the first movie tonight." And Jinji says, "Needs to be renamed two millimeters to the trash can." <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> does. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And Jinji yeah. says, "Wait, Bill Mosley's in a piece of shit." <laughs> I, Go figure. Oh, so. Oh man, uh, I. I uh, what can we say about this movie? So okay, so what can we say positive about this movie? Let's take a so, breath. Positive stuff only. Uh, we, we have to fill the space. We can't just sit here staring at the fucking screen. <laughs> so okay, so th- so I so th- obviously first movie I watched. It's available on Amazon Prime. It's, it's yep. like a dollar ninety nine to rent. Uh, which was the which was the first red flag on the fee. It was like there's a red flag there. I haven't even I haven't even gotten the film. It's a red flag. It's right there. Yep. But okay, so I watched this movie and us. You know, yes, the movie is not good. It's not good by any stretch of the imagination. It does have a mass killer. The mass killer is kind of intimidating. It's got it's got a couple of mass killers. It's got Bill Mosley doing a kind of mix of chop top and otis from devil's rejects yeah. it's got it's it's got richard grieco in it for some reason it's got Stephen baldwin in, in it for some weird reason because um, this is what i think happened or william baldwin sorry and then christopher oh. judge who was teal can start in uh in uh stargate okay yeah in the series and he's in there and dominant like viva bianca from from spartacus uh and dominique swain uh who was in there i oh, shit you place. not for Three, two minutes? If that. Yeah, yeah. two-minute scene. So this is the, 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 the takeaway that I had on this film. Unfortunately, Sarcasm says, come on, Jay, I'll polish that turd. And I'm going to be straight up, dude. I don't think I can. But the film does, does did, didn't make me, did, made me question something. It kind of inspired an interesting, an interesting thought. And it was like, there are so many names in this. Okay? You look at the names that are in this. William Billy uh, uh Billy Baldwin, you've got uh, William Baldwin, you've got Richard fucking Greco, okay, teen heartthrob from the eighties, you got Bill Mosley, legendary uh, horror actor, Chop Top, Otis Driftwood, you know the number of, of horror uh, characters he's played is is massive. You've got Christopher Judge, who is well known in sci fi audiences, Dominique Swain, who got her start working across from like um, uh, Jeremy Irons, she's working in major films and uh, how far she is fall- how far she kind of fell. And I, I suddenly had to ask, and this comes down to not a, not a, about the movie in and of itself, how a movie like this gets made, and this so this is all behind the scenes stuff. So it made me question what's going on behind the scenes. This movie is I shit you not straight brought bottom of the barrel. 
There is oh, nothing, yeah. there was nothing engaging about the movie at all. It is absolutely formulaic to the point of being, you can, you can slap paint any. By numbers. It is paint yeah. by numbers and there's only two numbers. And there's two numbers. Yes. Okay. And it's, it's formulaic to the, to the most, to the film school degree. It's technically not interesting. This um, seems the, like, like writer's prompt type stuff that they said make a movie out of it real quick and this is something i would expect to see out of like a like a film uh like 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 a like a like a kind of thing yeah yeah, like either film school or like a like one of those little festivals that runs around looking for a movie like like if there was a slasher festival make your slasher movie and we'll it will show it this is what this felt like the cheapness of this movie is very difficult to articulate as far as from a technical standpoint so the movie itself is straight up bottom of the barrel, but it made me wonder. Look at the names that are attached to this. You've got some huge names that are in this film. And I think, and the other dude, uh, the, the dude who plays the hero in it, John Hennigan, uh, who plays Travis in it, um, who's the guy looking for his brother. Um, he, the, he's a, a wrestler for WWE, isn't he? Is he? Is he? Is he? I mean, I'm, I'm honestly not sure. I'm not huge into wrestling. Yeah, I, I, I don't... Yes, I don't John, really yeah, John Hennigan, yeah. Um, and there's a picture, yeah, there's a picture of him wrestling. Um, I don't know, I don't know who, who he wrestles for. I think he wrestles under the name John Morrison. Yeah, for WWE. Uh, I so mean, got, I, it's not that I didn't believe you, I just didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so you've, I, got, you've, you've got names attached to this. But I needed, I needed to just, like, try and figure out how the fuck does a movie like this happen you've got no money for tech you've got no money for location you've got and all the money obviously went to these names you can't tell me that william baldwin is only commanding scale these days that richard grieco is only commanding scale these days let me ask you this okay in the past 10 years what have you seen william baldwin in an excellent point yeah i mean (laughs) Maybe he can. He can't. He doesn't command the 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 uh, sliver money he used to command. And see, that that's honestly what I started thinking was you start looking at him when you have Christopher Judge. I mean, SG One is a fantastic show. We were talking about yeah. a show that ended what ten years ago. Yeah, at least, yeah, yeah. And then you have uh, Vivica Blanc, who I loved her in Spartacus. Oh, Viva Bianca was a, was yeah, amazing Viva, in that show. Yeah. yeah, she was such. She played such a great character in Spartacus. But that's another show that ended with. 10 years ago mm-hmm. and so you and they these people haven't done very much so in terms of pulling them to getting them at scale rate and honestly this looks like a type of this looks like the type of movie where you actually have a personal investor somebody who has a little bit of money who wants to make a film so they have somebody who say they have a yeah. hundred thousand dollars and they want to make a film and they're they, i'm not talking like a Oh well, we have made all these films before, and finally, I feel like it's okay to reach out and make my own. You have a probably investor who has never made a movie before, who's dreamed of it, mm-hmm. and then they're like, "Okay, well, let's get some of these names." So they get some of these older names, probably names of shows that they've watched, and then you hire a bunch of low-end, maybe just graduated film school uh, tech people because it looks like it was shot off of something like a soap opera. Like it's like lighting cameras. Not somebody great. somebody said something about it looked like a CW horror film at one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Like yes. it's yeah. it's just it's not it's not great to begin with because 
probably making it, they got the actors, and then it was like, well, a feature-length cinematographer is going to normally charge this really big rate. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pay that. I'd rather get somebody who has a camera who's in film school because they'll shoot it cheaper. <laughs> and then this is exactly this is exactly what you get. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Ray says it's like they got their cast at big lots, quality shit that just hasn't sold in a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it and I and I agree with you on this. It felt very much like the movie was like a monkey with a nuclear weapon. Someone had a whole bunch of money and wanted to do a movie and said, "I want people that I like yeah. in it," and uh, and then got them in there. And you know, because when you when you actually watch the film, so. In total, Richard Grieco is in this movie for I think less than less than five minutes of screen time. Right. So I think he's got one one major scene. He's got like one major scene that where he has dialogue with with William Baldwin, where they're mm-hmm. where they're talking about where they're giving exposition. That's it. He's got one expo- exposition scene, and then everything else is tertiary, where he pops in and then he leaves. So he's got one scene, which probably took a day of shooting. Right. And then you've got uh, William Baldwin, who's 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 barely in it until the very end, and then he really doesn't do much until before you know before you know what happens to him. And then you've got Bill Mosley, who I shit you not, the biggest horror name in this film, is in this thing for less than I think less than five minutes of screen time, doesn't have a whole lot of lines. And pretty much just finds a middle ground, like I said, between Chop Top, between the craziness of Chop Top and the the weird kind of aesthetic of Otis Driftwood, Otis B. Driftwood, uh, Otis B. Driftwood from Devil's Rejects, and even then he takes like he takes the hair off and everything, he just acts like a crazy person, and then he then he and then he's out of the movie. Yeah, nobody's this is in what I think happened. This is what I think happened, right? I think you guys were right. There's a producer who had money, wanted to make a film, who just happened to know some people, right? And they were shooting this film and said, hey, can you guys just come do something really quick? I'll buy you lunch. And they're like, ah, fuck it. I got 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. I mean, because when you look at when you look at something like, say, IMDb, if you have IMDb Pro, you can actually reach out. And they're, the, these actors, yeah. their managers are listed. So you can contact the manager of these people. Not like, that we've done that. Email. Yeah. Not, not they, necessarily mean they're going to respond or anything. But these people are not exactly hard to get a hold Leonardo DiCaprio is probably really hard to get a hold of but these people are not going to be necessarily hard to get a hold of and what you do is you get them for one day yeah they'll, do, they'll do something they'll do something on scale uh stack I mean, scale but, for one day and how are you gonna how are you gonna how are you gonna cast Richard Rico as the sheriff and not put him in a sheriff's outfit the dude looks like he rolled up in the clothes that he was driving in probably did and he's like yeah, yeah and then you know just give him a fake gun and I'm the sheriff it's like what the budget that, said no Christopher Judge looked like more of a cop than he did, and neither one of them looked like cops. So it was just. Well, it, see, it, again, was, it is. It's 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 shooting a, a budget film. It was it, well. That's that was the big thing on this is like, and I and I get it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in another movie that we that we're going to talk about tonight, where we're going to kind of extend this conversation. It's going to go a little bit further in this. I'm going to bring up a topic there, but this watching this was was kind of disheartening. It's like, well, yeah, I get it. You know, there there was some decent carnage in it. You know, you got a, a, an intimidating looking killer. I was like, I could see some production design went into that. A little less production design went into the sister, and even less production design went into fucking uh, uh, Bill Mosley's character. Do and, and, and like, 
every yeah, everything in it looks yeah, fake. So in that, it's that, like, that trailer, when they look at that painting on the wall and they're like, "What is this?" Disturbing. I'm like, I got fucking a grip. Fucking did that off yeah. camera. That wasn't but, a grip. Know, that was a grip's kid. Like I said, I got plenty of things around here. Man. This looks disturbing. It's like, yeah. Little, so, little Billy's over there in the fucking corner. I got daddy. One of the saving graces on it, you know, at least a lot of a lot of TNA in it. Um, you do get you do get a bunch of that obligatory TNA, which is which is okay. Um, I'll tell you one thing that that just was was fucking weird was Dominique Swain. Was I was like, okay, Dominique Swain is in the role. She plays, you know, one of, one, one of the girls going to the New Year's Eve party, and in it for I mean, like legit named actress pops in, has a scene, gets like you know the 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 it I guess impaled or something like this. But anyway, she goes down. She's in it for less than two minutes. Two minutes of screen time. Has some dialogue. Goes down. Never see her again. Don't even see her body again. Yeah, just done. Just popped in to get killed and then ran and then then that she was out. This is just. It was disheartening. It was disheartening watching this thing because I think this is the like one of the huge examples of of how of how just because you have money, it's kind of like oh, just because you just because you is what Ian Malcolm said. Jurassic Park, the the line that I'm thinking of. Just because you spare no expense. No, no, because they spared a lot of expense. Right. Hammond, you didn't stop to think if you should. Just because you yeah. could, you didn't stop to think if you should. Yeah. And this kind of stuff, I think, it is is one of the things that drags the genre. I mean, I know there are people out there that love this kind of that love this kind of schlock shit. And I'm speaking of this from a filmmaking from a filmmaker standpoint. And I get that I, I may have that bias. I, I acknowledge that. But I think that it's when people like this, like I've got money, I want to make a movie. La 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 la. This is this we're, is we're over shit. here, by the way. We're over here. Yeah, yeah, we're here. <laughs> well, what I've noticed in the filmmaking world is this: is that because most filmmakers have little to no money, so you really, really have to focus and make sure that everything you do has to be really good because you don't get a second chance. One right. bad project could tank you, yep. and you're done. I yep. mean, it's like a big mess up in cinematography or a big mess up in sound or something like that. So you have to really you have to really spend your time and really select the scripts that you do and select the people you work with and the gear that you you have to go through this process. Yep. Whereas when you have somebody that has, let's say they, they had two hundred thousand dollars to make this thing. They never went through it. I want to make a movie. I have money. They never go through that process of trying to refine your skills so you can get a big film because they just already have the money necessary. So right. you get a paint-by-number script. Because this is a script written by somebody who was told what slasher movies are like. They you may can, have you watched slap it, yeah. You could slap any skin on this right. thing, and, it, it, and you could turn it into any franchise you wanted. Like you yeah. just like put, and then you could make it into anything you want. Just just tweak, just tweak the names, tweak the characters, and you, this is just like uh, very similar to uh, the like the Halo series. I like to say this was a bare bones slasher film that you could have stuck in anything, and this is just you know like this was just a bare bones slasher script that was made um, that could have been malleable to any kind of franchise. The problem. But, so like to kind of piggyback on what Eugene said, if you're not, if you don't have the money to do what you want, right? If you don't have the experience to do what you want you need to select something that is at least a good story and this didn't have it this didn't have right it wasn't even again even the story was paint by numbers oh people meet up at a desolate place to celebrate a, a freaking 
holiday and one of them goes missing. Oh my god, the people get killed. Oh my god, it's the same like regurgitated bullshit. And the characters weren't even interesting. I was. I didn't give a shit about a one of them. Nobody. I was cheering. I was like, yes, finally they killed this person. Yes, they. God, it was terrible. But at least we're done looking at them on screen. I was just like, like, like. The only thing I'm focused. Yeah, exactly. How are you gonna die? And and that's just fucked up. (laughs) It wasn't even interesting how they died. Yeah. No. Stick was, and you're dead. It was like yeah. oh. uh, off-screen type stuff. It was, you just come on, man. Just give me something. So yeah. So like, I think what it comes across is like, if you've got money, sure, that's fantastic. Um, do, do you pay your kids scale for cameos? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, no. Aaron Reese says this movie is directed by a talented producer's son-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably what happened. I think it, it comes down to it that this is this, that minutes to midnight is an example of if just you just because you've got the money to do something doesn't mean that you should, and just because you've got buku dollars to throw around doesn't mean you doesn't absolve you from doing the work you need to make a decent movie. Yep. Because when you do this, that when this stuff is done, in my opinion, this is solely my opinion. This is the kind of shit that drags the genre down. And this would go for any... This is what drags the the, the business down. This is what what, what ruins credit, what wrecks credibilities. Because anybody with... Because basically says anybody with money can make a movie and get the movie out there. Mm-hmm. And while that's kind of true, it should it really shouldn't be. Because that's when you... This could be a bad action movie, which we, there are many of them out there. This could be a bad, a bad comedy, a bad romance, you know, whatever. The whole point is, is that just because you you can doesn't mean you should, and doesn't mean you should just skimp on doing all of the legwork to right. make a to make a story. At least, at least someone I would have been happy to have gotten a call to do a once over on this script. I would have done a once over just, just to at least spice it up a little bit. You know, to try and add some some gravity to it. Otherwise, because otherwise you're just watching. You know, like I said, paint by numbers. These, you you could watch a stick figures fight on YouTube, and it would be it's pretty much the same. That's even more exciting that's than more this was. Yeah, yeah that, that just really is. It's just keep in mind is like, and if you are somebody out there who maybe has access to money or has maybe even thinking about, first of all, give us a we're over here. But second of all, you realize the fact that you are inexperienced in the area of filmmaking and so talk with writers talk with cinematographers talk with directors who are very experienced so that way you can get a pass over a script because i've worked on a lot of short films that have bad scripts producers that don't know what they're doing but they have money yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but they have money and uh, as filmmakers we work for money i'll shoot a bad movie <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'll shoot a bad movie if you pay me for it. It'll look pretty when we're done with it. Yeah, it'll yeah, it'll look gorgeous. That's that that's that mercenary that's that mercenary mentality which we're gonna get into a little bit later in the show. That's that Danny Trejo that's that Danny Trejo mentality where he's like, I just like I just want to work. You willing to pay me? I'll do the work. I don't give a shit. That's why Danny. That's why Danny Trejo (laughs) leads Hollywood in most on-screen deaths. So I wanted to say something about what Aaron Reese just is Aaron Reese's comment talking about plot is the foundation of the house if it's not quality then the other big flash of shit is just going to sink um what was that was it hatchet i don't think the plot in hatchet was all that particularly great but the, it was the flash of shit that made it work the 
spin the head backwards and pop the eyeballs out and uh you know uh the the great kills in that I think that's, that's what made I, that part. I think I think that that with with that because because like you've stated many times because hatchet springboards off of Friday the 13th. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That that's the reason it works because you you only need bare bones for Friday the 13th and then the flash shit helps to pick it up because you've got enough plot there to sustain and then you can put a whole bunch of flashy shit on top of it because you right. know at least your plot can can withhold it. Can hold well, it up. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is is the flashy mm-hmm. shit because it was done right. Also, correct, you know yes. what I mean? It, it allows f- that. It allows you to to kind of uh, excuse, so to speak, a, a messy plot. The flashy shit wasn't even done right in this one. It, it, it wasn't. No, it, no, it just it, it wasn't because even at the bare minimum, we watch a slasher and you watch for the kills. Hatchet has some really great creative kills. Very creative. And really yeah. use some great cinematography on how these kills were executed. And it's like they at least know the little nuances to make a slasher. This this person didn't. They maybe watched one slasher once in their life and they're like, yeah. ah, Okay, I can, I can do it. Dude, in Hatchet, he he decapitated somebody with their own intestines. Yeah. That's how you do a fucking kill, man. That is how you yeah. do a kill. Yeah. Where the camera goes around the tree, I think at the top of the head ripped off. And it's, yeah. Oh, that's how you do that shit. Exactly. Not this. Cut away. Yeah. Just go just for a it. Swing, blood hits the floor. That's it. And yeah. how? And oh my! And how? And how? How the film ended? I don't. I don't care. If there's a moratorium on that. Well, I, it's not even really a spoiler because I mean, the, the there's not enough plot to really spoil. But how do you end a movie like that where the kid's like ah, oh, and then hits Richard Grieco? Richard Grieco's like ah, oh, credits. What the fuck? <laughs> they ran out of film. It was, it was so dumb. Oh, just not great. Not great at all. Anyway, so we we're talking about talking about Richard. Richard, I don't even want to say his name because I just don't want to associate him with this movie. I don't want to associate any of these guys with this movie. But speaking of actors and B films, what I want to know because I'm done talking about this piece of shit. I want to know who your favorite B-horror actor is. Drop us a line at weekendhorror.gmail.com with your comments or leave us a, su- or a suggestion. Leave us a comment in the side chat or in the comment section down below. Mine's Bruce Campbell. Ah, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Because yeah. he's good in everything he does. I don't care what it is. Yeah, I don't care if the movie's good or not. He's always good. He's good, yeah. Even when he was in Spider-Man, he was fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm damn. I mean, you said Bruce Campbell and like all the other ones went out. Yeah, of my head. <laughs> I might just think really... Bruce. All I see is that chin. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much all I've got. Yeah, that's like road no last name. Just said Bruce Campbell. Mic drop. Mic drop. Yeah. Mic yeah. drop. Yep. Yep. So apparently there is a correct answer for that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Aaron Reesbring. Okay, there we go. Okay, we got some good ones. Thank you for for clearing my mind. Sarcasm says Tom Savini. Yeah, Reese says Jeffrey Combs. Tom Savini's not a B actor. He's just a he's just ah. a, a special effects guy who likes to murder himself on screen. Aaron Reese says Jeffrey Combs. Mm, he's been in everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Travis Brown said Ted Raimi. How do you like Ted Raimi though? Mm-hmm. Ted Raimi's good stuff, and of course we're now saying Danny Trejo. Are these B horror actors? B horror. Danny actor? Trejo is so B horror now. He's B horror now. <sighs> Is he? Yeah, I mean, he look at his IMDb. 
He's in everything. Well, so just, he, because he, just because he wears all the underwear doesn't mean he's a B-horror actor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, done with that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, 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 Remove from bookmarks. Yeah, all right. <laughs> we could never speak of that movie again. Okay. Right, Gail, you have the only good movie on the list. So Yes, and I'm, 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 I'm excited to talk about this one because That's I really... <laughs> so release released uh july 4th 1962 we have the classic uh film tales of terror let's check out this trailer <laughs> Aaron reese says it smells like a burnt turd in here <laughs> man you gotta love aip they were pushing boundaries back then so yes that was tales of terror directed by roger corman with the screenplay by richard matheson Talk about your pedigree there. And, of course, starring Vincent Price, Peter Lorre, uh, Basil Rathbone, and Deborah Padgett. Um, this film is a trilogy, a, uh, an anthology of tales that were based off works by uh, Edgar Allan Poe, based on uh, Morella, The Black Cat, The Cask of Amontillado, The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar. Um, a, mag- a, a great little collection of uh, stories. And with the with the with the wonderful Corman uh, twist on kind of a uh, the Corman take on these tales, um, the first one is sensibly about the old man whose daughter returns home and then the uh, whose wife uh, died in childbirth and he blames the daughter for that. Then of course the black cat, which sees Vincent Price square off against uh, Peter Laurie's character, and then of course the third one. Um, where it was the uh, where Valdemar goes into a deep sleep and he goes into a trance in between life and death because he's dying and he gets permanently held there. And then the guy who puts him there goes to try and steal his wife from him to disastrous consequences. Um, I I have to tell you, I've one I love this movie, and two the Black Cat was the middle one was fucking amazing. Vincent Price and Peter Lorre together. What and I and I've seen I've seen uh, it, it, I hadn't actually seen this one. But I've seen Vincent Price work across from from Lee, work across from Cushing, or you know, work across from so from many all of the greats, the greats yeah, from all the greats. But I hadn't seen him work across from Peter Laurie, and I love Peter Laurie ever since I first saw him in M. And the that... two of them played off one another just to perfection. The legends yeah. working there, and it was hilarious. The, the two scene, of them, were... <laughs> yeah, the scene where they're where they're is the cask of Amontillado scene, right? So the black cat mm-hmm. culmination, the cask of Amontillado, black cat, and Telltale Heart, all three of those just put together. Um, but that scene where they're sitting down, uh, Fortunato and um, oh god, and Harry and uh, Montezuma, uh, Montezuma, yeah, yeah. And they're going back and forth talking about, you know, drink. Well, the, the proper way to taste is you take a sip, you push <laughs> it around, and then you spit it out. And the other guy says, that's a way to, Peter Lord's like, that's a waste of good wine. And just fucking drinking and nailing them all and getting fucking hammered. It was great. The two of them, was it, was, okay, Vincent Price. This is what's this is what's fantastic. I actually didn't know the story. So Aaron Reese told me uh, told us a story about Vincent Price about how they were doing an after party. Uh, yes. I can't remember which movie he, which movie it was, but it was the after party of one of his films, and someone gave him a a gag gift. It was a it was a dildo as a gag gift, and so someone gave Vincent Price a dildo as a gag gift, and in the in the at the party. He held up. I guess he maybe he'd been drinking. I don't know. But he held up the dildo like a like an Oscar and he gave a speech. Hold up the gag gift and gave this speech, holding it up like it was an award. And to obviously you know to to great fun. You know, it, 
knowing that that happened and seeing his performance in this movie, the 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 just the uh, the the absurdity of his of of his of his wine taster, yeah. and just the the physic the, the the guy the man was a master of physicality. And, and so, and just seeing that, I could, it was, oh, yeah, thank you, Aaron, where he said it was Madhouse. And hey, Skumacad, good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. And I could see, I could definitely see that. Vincent Price was magnificent in this. Peter Laurie's drunk Montressor, uh, uh, Montressor uh, Herringbone was fantastic, playing off of one another. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love the middle one. But all three of them are great. And for the time period, for the, for 1962, I thought the effects were quite decent. You can tell, obviously, tell how they're doing it. Just simple trick photography, but you don't need to go to extremes to tell this one. And the the real power that I wanted to touch on in this movie was in the set design, the set and art and art design in this movie, because that's where Poe, the stories of Poe, lives, is in their gothic atmospheres and baroque architecture, and that that's where we're the the kind of like the you know the haunting, the haunted house, classic uh, classic tale there, or tales of the macabre. That is where Poe lives, and Corman fucking nails it in this. Well, well this is part of it. I'll go ahead, Eugene. Go ahead. And so this is when you talk about how do you make a film look big budget when you do not have big budget. Now, th- this film had a budget. I'm saying this this is mm-hmm. this is not a low budget film by any means. But for the filmmakers out there, this is a lesson. Your set design. And your art direction is where your production value comes from. So many people like to invest in cameras, light. Oh, I want to shoot. I want to get like the next 12K, blah, 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 cameras and make everything look cinematic. And I'm going to spend $50,000 in lights and all this other kind of stuff. And then, all right, cool. All right, well, what's your setting? Uh, it's a small apartment with white walls. Cool. It's still going to look terrible. Yeah. The yeah. most, the, the best camera in the world. A, a white background looks terrible. And so how you sell people on your story is your art direction. Getting people don't right realize house. how important what goes on in the background. There's a yes. reason why uh, some of your more your more popular content creators have shit going on in the background. Not saying us, just saying. Anyway, <laughs> uh, like like so? Like like, like not not saying us. Just saying, but when you look at look at all the look at all the great films, right? The great ones, not not some of the even the good ones, but look at all the great films, and go back and take away, peel off everything that's happening in front of you, all the action, all the fucking talking, peel that off, and take a look at what you're seeing. There's a reason why Saving Private Ryan, that Omaha Beach scene works so well because they went back and recreated not just what it looked like, but you felt those bullets, you felt the mortars you felt every little piece of of explosion and sand everything because it was so meticulously and carefully placed and it was chosen that way for a reason take a look same thing with this with this series of films art direction is so important set design capturing that look the only time a white wall works is if it's supposed to be a white wall if it's if if that is a piece of the story, mm-hmm. like in Cell or what was it? Uh, what's the one with the the top spinning with the Christopher? Oh, Nolan. In, uh, Inception. Inception, right? That's important. It actually drives a story. If it's just you walking into your apartment and the apartments are fucking white walled, go grab yourself a twenty dollar can of paint and paint that motherfucker. 
put up some paintings yes it, put up some put up some plants in the background and also you got to keep in mind this is how you sell your world and on top of that right. you can actually tell things about your character that isn't necessarily said on the script this isn't necessarily right. said in dialogue and whenever whenever i teach a directing class for dallas filmmakers alliance i, I always use this example it is way more powerful to have a guy sitting in a cubicle computer and sticky notes and all stuff and he picks up a picture of his family looks at it puts it back down and starts typing again that's way more powerful than him walking down a hallway going i'm working hard because i want to support my family right way more and no dialogue right there you mm -hmm. sell it stacks of paper post-it notes everywhere a bunch of tabs open on his computer a calendar no, that's no all marked up. and, and mm -hmm. it, that's it's powerful that way yeah the whole opening sequence, and I knew, and I knew immediately that I was going to love the film. And this is one of the, and yes, I know there was some shock in the live chat. There are a few films out there that I have not seen, um, and occasionally doing the show, I get to come across an, an old classic that I just haven't had an opportunity to watch. I it just it bothered me because we watched this in I, I watched this in high school, like in literature class, we watched this. Because well, of the, uh, it was because of the black cat. Oh, because of the 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 uh, the Poe connections, right? Yeah. And there were there are other there are other films in the in the Corman cycle that I have watched. I just hadn't happened to have seen this particular one. So I was yeah, like, and so, it's a Roger Corman film. That's it, yeah, it's it's really it, you know it's it's one oh, of those yeah. ones that kind of snuck past me. But that's the beauty of doing the show is I said movies come along and I get to say oh wow I get to see this old classic here which is really cool and of course I get to revisit a lot of classics. But opening having viewed this one, having gotten the, the the rare opportunity to view this one for the first time now here in my forties and going back with what I know about Corman, what I know about Price, what I know about filmmaking. This thing was an absolute visual treat. The minute she, the, like the minute the daughter uh, that uh, that pageant like rolls up, or mm -hmm. the, the minute that the daughter rolls up to the to the house, and you see the giant mansion that that her father Vincent Price's character is living in, and you see the exterior of it, and then she walks inside, and every single aspect, it, it's it's she, she's, it, it is a set, but it's it is it looks like a house. I mean, the the visual appeal is there. It is wonderfully baroque and just gorgeously gothic. And I love every bit of energy or every ounce that Corman ensured was in there to convey the atmospheres of his inspiration. And that was that was Edgar Allan Poe. He doesn't want just want it's not just about setting it in Baltimore or you know setting it in Maryland or or setting it during a specific time period. You've got to go with all the aspects that made that what it was, which is the architecture, which is the lighting, which is you know all the piece, all the things that that Poe would put into a story in order to create. You know, to be the master of macabre that he was, and of course, the acting uh, just fills just just fills this wonderful space. And so I thought, and of course, you know, the the house was magnificent in the first one. The setting of the uh, the setting of the black cat, uh, the middle story, was fantastic. I loved that, and of course, the third one as well. That it was so it was beautiful. The character of the of the environment, the character of the story, was set before we even walk in and have actors walking in. Just her, just the daughter walking through the house, mm -hmm. is conveying so much. And, and just like because her, she answers, she knocks on the door, and she's been estranged from her father for like I think it was like uh, you know, over a decade or uh, almost twenty years, and she walks in. And you know, her father's not there to greet her, and she's wandering about this dilapidated mansion 
with this vast library and these massive candles and just kind of was like and cobwebs everywhere. Like he's stuck. He like he's been stuck in this one state. Like fucking uh, Mrs. Uh, De Havisham from fucking uh, Great Expectations. Great Expectations, yeah. Yeah. And so she, he walks in. So she walks in and just her wandering about this this. You know, and she's beautiful. She's beautiful. She's dressed uh, impeccably, and she walks into this environment. It tells you everything you need to know. We haven't even heard a single person really speak yet. This is what makes it magnificent, and this is this is you cannot beat this for storytelling. And that was what Corman was a master of, and that's what it comes down to. And that's what, the next thing I want to bring up was Corman and Price, because Corman used Price in a lot in his in his Poe adaptations during during his Poe cycle. And the, I, this is the beauty of a director and an actor, both who are like epics in their own right. A director who know who knows what his vision is and knows how to accomplish it, and an actor who is strong and capable and fearless and willing to go to either side of the spectrum. You know, from the goofy wine taster in this one to you know the mask of the the, the fucking mask of the Red Death and shit. He can go. He can go both sides, and they trust one another. This is the importance of direct of trust between a director and their actors. Of knowing, like, I see what you're. I, not only do I see your vision, but I trust that we can trust each other. That we can both get there together. This is what you get. This is the kind of performance that you get when you have that. And why it's so important, and it, it makes it even more apparent when you watch a movie and that trust is not there. And as a filmmaker, you have to be able to develop that. And it's from what I can tell, it's it's becoming more and more of a rarity, which just make kind of makes me sad. But it makes me I can go back and watch movies like this. Well, so I, I would say not necessarily more of a rarity. It's just you have to look out for it's a certain big name directors because a lot of a lot of directors, most directors that we've never even heard of before, and they have to work on a, they have some say, but they may have to work within the confines of the studio so forth and so forth but when you get the big name directors they have that because you look at martin scorsese and like robert de niro mm-hmm. as she um leonardo dicaprio when you're looking at like christopher nolan and you get like the tom hardy um when you're looking when you you, just, you see the same people that pop up constantly in their films say quentin tarantino and samuel jackson where they have that shorthand we take Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, one of the best directors, one of the best actors ever, but you put them together and they're able to create iconic moments and iconic roles because they buff each other up. They build it on top of each other. Robert De Niro alone can carry a scene, and Martin Scorsese knows how to make right. a scene. Well, but if, if they together. have that working relationship together, they, they've already put their, you know, uh, what was it? What was the first Scorsese De Niro film? Was that. Goodfellas, or was that? Uh, Raging Bull. I thought I was gonna say I thought it was Raging Bull. It was Raging Bull. Yeah, I couldn't remember because uh, I'm tired. Um, but they've been through that, right? They put their dues in together, learn each other. And when you get a director and an actor, or a director and a talent who, you know, who who a enjoy similar style story making or storytelling, b have similar style work ethic even though they might you know butt heads every now and again like matthew modine and stanley kubrick butted heads on uh uh metal jacket jacket. yeah Mm -hmm. you know they still had a good working relationship they could work together it's the same kind of thing right so scorsese hey De Niro, i like the the type of characters you can play 
because you can play pretty much anything, come to me in this film. And, you know, De Niro's like, fucking hell, yes, this Scorsese film. I like the way it works. It tells the stories. I think, they, you know, they visually and whatever. And it just makes it for a more enjoyable experience for everybody because we get these masterpiece films. Yeah, I mean, you're right. We really do. And you get that. We talking about, I like how you point out, like, working up together. Mm-hmm. Where it's that, like, they, yeah, of course, they'll go out and do other things separate. But it's like they start at the same level and they're going through. Because filmmaking, a, filmmaking can beat you up and it can be a very stressful process. And so it's like you, you're in the trenches together. Right. You get that bond. And you know that shorthand, and that's where you get incredible performances like Corman and Price. Right. And actually, just to go back to that, because um, I know we'll probably get called that. Actually, Taxi Driver came before um, came before Raging Bull. Oh, yeah. Taxi Driver came before that. And, oh, but even before that, in 1973, they worked together on Mean Streets. Yeah, because so Mean they, Streets, they, that was Martin Scorsese's first film, right? Mean Streets? Yeah, they've done. They've, they've oh, worked wow. together nine times. So yeah, developing that stable, developing that stable of actors that you trust and the people that you want to work with that you can develop that you know you maybe maybe you yeah. came up together or maybe you came from the same area, you know whatever links you together in some way and gives you that shorthand and allows you to have that trust. Yeah, it's when that, you hit that 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 either the you know I'll work with this person because I know if I say this. You know, there's not going to be this confusion. Like, what do you mean? Like, we know what each other means, you know? Mm-hmm. you know. Eugene and I work on a thing. Eugene's like, I need, this is the lighting I'm looking for. I know what he means. I know where to place lights. We might have to adjust a little bit here and there, but it, there's still that 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 understanding. Like, I don't have to say, what do you mean, Eugene? Do you want this? Do you want that? No, this is what I want. Cool, we got it. Let's boom, let's mm-hmm. do it. And having that, like, so you know, Corman and mm-hmm. Price obviously had that together, right? Corman said, hey, Price, come do a film. Price said, all right, I need money, and, you know, I can kind of enjoy it. Let's do it. <laughs> so Aaron Reese says, the most experienced directors are pretty much insistent on the actors being able to handle their own shit without constant coaching. And exactly. that's, that's part yeah. of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Joshua Lee is in the house. Good to see you, Joshua Lee, one of our amazing patrons, says, you want Vincent Price goofy? Look at him playing Egghead in the 1960s <laughs> Batman. Very true. And then uh, Tony Regine comes back with, if you want really unsettling Vincent Price, watch his show (laughs) 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 wonderful stuff wonderful stuff and ivy gentry's in the house good to see ivy says weekend horror the raven is the first horror comedy when are you going to do it we will cover the raven soon it is coming up it's just a matter of us getting the point getting the point time that it was released but we will get there we've got plenty of time so, but that was that. It was wonderful watching uh, such talented actors who trusted their director, trusted the story, and just having fun. I love yeah. movies where everyone is having fun with what they're doing, and this, this is what this is what this was. And then, and it kind of put me in the mood to go back and watch the other movies in the Corman Post cycle, um, just so I could see that because Corman is a his as a has a reputation of being one of the most fun and uh, most interesting directors to work with because constantly coming up with new ways to do things. Let's do this. Let's do, let's let's play with it. He's not trying. He just wants to have fun because that's what filmmaking is. It's fun and it's nice to, to see people. Huh? It's supposed to be right. It's supposed to be, <laughs> supposed to be and it's nice. It's nice to see people having fun with this. You know, and going back and saying, Let, let's 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 run with the script. Let's do things that. Let's try new things. I can tell you this. The script did not call for Vincent Price to do all the shit he did as the wine test, the wine taster, the uh, the polishing of the thing, the 
Yeah. And then the, all the weird facial movements, and, and that's all him. That's all, yeah, that's all, all Price. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he brings, that's what Price brought to the table was, was those great characterizations. Oh, so much fun. So I want to ask the audience, in Tales of Terror, because there are three different stories, and each one of them takes bits and pieces from Poe, from Poe's uh, stories, which one was your favorite? Uh, did you prefer which one did you prefer? Did you prefer Morella, the first story of the of the dead mother coming back to avenge uh, to get revenge against the daughter that uh, you know killed her in childbirth? Did you like the Black Cat with Peter Lorre and Vincent Price and Joyce Jameson uh, just acting their fucking hearts out, or did you like the facts in the case of M. Valdemar, which was Vincent Price playing the man stuck between life and death before he comes back and gets all ooey and. In the end, <laughs> uh, just let us know in the comments below, or of course at weekendorgmail.com, which one was your favorite. And I have to say, I it was so goofy, but I loved it so much when he went with the uh, Eugene. Fill me in. What did when in the in the dream sequence in Peter Laurie's dream sequence? Because he, he's such a drunkard, he's hallucinating all the time. In the dream sequence, where he's imagining them playing with his head. What is that called oh. when they when they do when he do that to the when they do that to the screen when it's all stretched out like that? Oh, hang on, hang on. I can't remember what the technique is, but it's where they take the image and the image is essentially stretched out, um, stretched out on the horizontal in order to give it this weird kind of cartoonish look. And it played for it. It, it was I'm trying. I all I could only see this from the filmmaker's perspective of of filming Vincent Price and Joyce J and Joyce Jameson. On the set, going back and forth with the fake Peter Laurie head, and then like the butt, like the, the headless body running around trying to catch it. <laughs> all I can do is see them on set, not not with the visual appeal, not with the visual trickery on screen, but just seeing them on set doing that. That's fun. That's the fun stuff you get to do as an actor. <laughs> And, and and see that's that's one of the reasons why I love filmmaking because you get to do stuff like that because I get to sit at a restaurant with my friends and we're talking about how we're going to like light a body on fire and we're just casually just like yeah so this is probably the best way to go and light someone on fire with gasoline okay. that okay Eugene this has got to be one for the big the big batch of ideas that we have the waiter who just happens upon that conversation not knowing not having any context. <laughs> that'd be fun that'd be all fun. right that'd be fun. so eugene you are our next one take us into our creature feature why <laughs> wow so <laughs> yeah the fact that this movie references actual good movies but um yeah so we have Alligator 2, The Mutation, released July 5th, 1991. Roll it. Mm -hmm. Why are we having a humpback <laughs> whale noise? The Mutation. The fuck. Get out of here. Exactly! <laughs> <laughs> Alligator 2, Sewer Jaws. <laughs> Dr. Lee says it best. We're going to need a bigger sewer <laughs> <laughs> all right well discount <laughs> discount jaws was directed by john hess 
Sorry, Joseph, and I will stick to this last name, Joseph Baloney. Yes. Couldn't <laughs> <laughs> any better than that. <laughs> D. Wallace, Woody Brown, Harlan Arnold, Nicholas Cohen, and Brock Peters, and it's sort. It's just fucking Jaws. Yeah. That I mean, it's just you have a carnival on a lake. And you have a, an alligator that's eating people, so they want to shut down the carnival. Carnival. Now, now it's not in Amityville, or wherever the f- it's Amityville. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it's it's yeah. That that that's it right there. That is just it. <laughs> oh so man, it's, it's so it's so okay. First and foremost, it has to be pointed out that this film, the film is virtually no different. From the first film, from the first alligator. That's the big thing. Is like the the, the plot. Fact almost... that we don't know that there's really a first alligator. And a well, it's, it said it. It said it. They, it happened no, no, I before. Know. I, I know. I get it. No, I get it. Right. But just play. I, can, <laughs> I, mean, just I haven't play seen the original. So did I, have I missed something? No. No, you didn't. You didn't miss anything no. at, at all. No, because well, you what, watched it again just on replay. What you got? What you got was, and this is the kind of continuation from the cut topic that we were t- from the first from the first movie we talked about from minutes to midnight, is that you have a cast. You have like a smorgasbord of horror actors in this in this bad boy. Yeah. Because you have Joseph Bologna, uh, Bologna. I think it's Bologna is is how it's pronounced. But you have Joseph Bologna, yeah, who is in Transylvania Six Thousand, and then you've got D Wallace. Um, at the time credit is D. Wallace Stone, but uh, you have D. Wallace, you know, legendary we horror actors. Trying to pick the, up KL at uh, Texas Frightmare Weekend, by the way. That's true. I, I, I don't, I don't know about that. But look at his uh, face; he got so red. <laughs> I, I, I think, I'm I think, she, I think she just says that's all the bearded guys. I think that's all it is. She didn't say it to me, and I was standing right next to you. <laughs> so uh, D. Wallace was uh, D. Wallace in this fucking Richard Lynch was the alligator hunter. Was the he was the quint of the story. Um, uh, fucking uh, bastardized Quint like that. I'm not, I said he was the Quint of the story. I know what you said. He's he's don't he? Uh, <laughs> fucking Steve Railsback was in this bad boy, Kane Hodder was in this, and of course, um, I want to make sure I, uh, uh, Brock Peters as well, legendary Brock Peters. So, uh, this is another example of what in he killed two ugly plastic shoes. What's the <laughs> I missed something. Oh, Crocs. Ah, yeah. Crocs. Ah. <laughs> 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 no, that's not us being anti-Semitic. That's a callback to a joke in... Coming to America. There you go. Thank, yes. That, was, that, 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 is a, that is an Eddie Murphy joke. That yes. Is. <laughs> so, um, the, the, the kicker on this one is that this is kind of a continuation off of this one. Alligator 2 The Mutation had virtually nothing go for it. There was some unintentionally hilarious moments in this. Obviously, the giant alligator, rubber alligator tail slapping people around was, was funny <laughs> as shit. Um, the, the alligator's whale call was intensely insane. The, the, uh, I did, there were some good moments. I did like the, I did like the graveyard shit style moment where the alligator, where nothing has worked to kill this thing. Explosives, rocket launchers, you know, nothing is working to kill this damn thing. And yet when, when the thing grabs the alligator hunter, he like get, then goes full graveyard shift. We're going to hell together, trying to stab this thing to death. I think that that was hilarious. There's so many so and and the weirdness of some scenes. Obviously, the the wrestling scene was cut into the trailer. It's yeah. not even important to the plot. I don't know why it's there. Nope. And then of course the weird scene where the evil corporate corporate guy Steve Railsback 
is to, is like controlling the mayor. It's like he's the reason why the mayor won't shut the party down. And why the so the mayor's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know what to do. And then the evil corporate guy's like, ha ha, I'm the billionaire. You're gonna do what I say. Ah. And then he fucking shoots him on a Ferris wheel that they're that they're the only ones riding. I they're the only ones on it. That. How do you think you're gonna get off that fucking thing? And it was like, oh, well, they was the only person on it when he they went on they they went on alive. And then he came off and one was dead. He's like, what are you doing? Uh, it was the other guy. It was the <laughs> So, a lot of really, really silly shit in this. But, like I said, a cavalcade of horror icons. And this is where the idea of... of I was started thinking... <laughs> Tony Regime said, were you spelling Quint with a C-U? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is where I was getting the idea of horror mercenaries. People just doing... Because all of the performances in this are completely phoned in. You know, there was just, you know, except for, I would say, Steve Railsback. Steve Railsback kind of, like, chewed the scene a little bit as, as the eponymous, as, like, the bad guy. is like, the evil corporate corporate businessman that you've, you know, like, you've, like, you've ever done. You've, like, all of them you've ever seen. But, yeah, it was just, I think this was just a paycheck for a lot of people. This is another one of those scenarios where we've got money. The first one did some did, did some decent money. And Alligator was actually pretty decent because it was, it was, ostensibly Jaws, but they, they did some good stuff in the first one, but this one was a cataclysmic failure, and the only reason they got people to go to to go and watch it was because of all the names attached to it. And that's where this idea of, like, horror mercenaries comes from. Just, you know, I'm a horror actor, I'm known in the industry, so I'm just gonna grab whatever horror movies that come along. Yeah, and that, that's true. I think it's true for actors and true for crew, crew members also. It, it's a paycheck, it pays the bills, because... There's some awful acting in this movie. Oh, There's yeah. some really, really bad moments where I, I don't even, like, I don't know if they were even given direction at all. Let's just say your line. Yes, I think he's over there. Yeah, we'll keep that. Let's move on. Yeah. Kind of thing. Got time to take a second take, motherfuckers. <laughs> like I said that I will say there was there was there was a couple of good things a couple of, of at least they did some things right and there they they intercut some some in, um some moments in the film where they used a real alligator so they just and they set it up so that it looks like so they used force perspective to make it look like it's bigger than it is but so they did some they did some right things there they did some extremely wrong things there as well and just had characters that were too dumb to live um and some really weird kind of like i guess some really weird takes on on like the setting because oh, it's kind of like the like i think it was it's, it's los angeles isn't it california southern california i can't even remember uh, where the fucking thing was set it doesn't matter could have been set in i mean the, the fucking the, 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 the fucking name of the the, the company i mean this is how cheap this was and how little thought went into this the name of the company that's dumping the chemicals into the sewer that created the giant gator was future chemicals ah yeah so I mean that's just how kind of threadbare this and it's a re okay yeah the, the the sewers beneath Regent Park, so and it, it, there's like this this it Why kind of plays Cajun in Regent Park just like a weird place to have a Cajun. <laughs> no, they called him in. They called they oh, they, they, they... <laughs> that's right. I forgot they had to they had to fly him in special order from almost Louisiana. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, I think this is just another one of those examples of a sequel that is just, it's not even really a sequel. It's a re, it's kind of like a lackluster retread of the first film and hits all the same notes and tries to do things a little bit differently. But unfortunately, because it falls prey, because it's a sequel, 
and, or lauded as a sequel. It falls prey to, to the sequel-itis of the late 80s and the early 90s, where things have to be bigger, there has to be more explosions, there has to be more action, there has to be more bloodletting, more carnage. Everything had to be up. You had to be more. Unfortunately, yep. there's not much more you can show because than you did in the first movie. All you can do is show more of the alligator. And I will give them this. I will give them this at least, and this is the only kind of polish I can put on this. I found it kind of inspiring, and I, I like what he tried to do when uh, when John Hess tried to recreate uh, the American Werewolf from London sequence when the alligator is running rampage through the party, mm-hmm. setting the camera kind of like over the shoulder of the monster, right, right, right. and yeah. then following the monster like that. Totally American Werewolf in London. Yeah. Uh, so like they did the same thing with the werewolf in that one, which worked to great effect. And I was like, ah, I see, I see what you're trying to do there. At least trying yeah, to do the something. The reason why it worked in American Werewolf is because you're supposed to get that man monster, you know, that that duality, right? Because right. it's a POV and it's a human being, but it's a human being turning into a monster. So, you know, we need to see it from that point of view as well. And it puts you, you know, it puts you, the audience member, in there because of that struggle that's happening in the film. Here it's just stupid. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't play well because it's so dark, and right. because you can't have it. Unlike American Werewolf in London, where the where the uh, the fucking werewolf looked amazing, and so you could put the camera right there and you can have it well lit and it look and it's moving so fast and people are running and screaming everywhere. That looks fantastic. Even though I, I'm going to be honest, when you see the full werewolf as it actually was designed, it looks kind of silly but yeah, but just it. there from the head yeah, when it when it, 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 it that was that was beautiful filmmaking which right. is why that scene is so amazing you know when the camera's following the bad guy there but in this one unfortunately the alligator the fake alligator that they used was so fake looking that you've got to lower you've got to keep the scene kind of dark and then you could try and and make the alligator wet so you can get some light reflection of it to give it the, to give it the depth and give it kind of the definition that you need but it's so dark, you don't get the same effect. Because you, like Johnny said, you need to be in there as the audience. And if you light up the scene too much, that's why the whole party takes place at night. And if you light up the scene too much, you're going to realize that's a fake fucking alligator. It's a fake alligator. Alligator looks fake as That shit. doesn't work. So, the alligator that I played in the snow with. I don't know why I said <laughs> Right. So, uh, so, a little bit of credit to John Hess for trying to do something interesting. I got to give him that. As a director, you realize, it, I, I, I take this as an example that, that he knew what he had and he knew what was in front of him and he's like, oh, fuck me running. Um, I'm, okay, I gotta try, I'm, okay, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could, uh, I really liked, you know, American Werewolf in London. Maybe I could recreate that scene. Um, I really like this. Maybe I could do that. And he tried to do stuff that would be interesting and try to, try to salvage his project. I, I, a credit to him to, for 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 the valiant, if not vain, effort. So <laughs> to kind of piggyback on that, we talk a lot of shit about movies we don't like. At the end of the day, as much as we as much shit as we talk about these films, we still respect the 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 majority of the filmmakers because getting something in the can is yep. extremely difficult to do. And, you know, we're looking at these films, you know, this was done, what, what was this, what year was this? 71, sorry. We yeah. had 91s 20, 30 years ago, and we're over here tearing it apart. We don't, we weren't there. We we didn't have to deal with, you know, the, the probable studio interventions and the, 
problems on set and you know, maybe somebody opened up a can of film and they lost a whole reel of film or who knows all kinds of shit that happens on on a film set so if anybody you know involved with these films picks up this show and they're like fuck these guys like look no we understand we're we're trying to we're, we're taking a comedic look at some of these things because I guess our standards are so high, but at the end of the day, we do respect the majority of these people that make these films because it's extremely difficult to do. Well, we can we can look at. I think I think it's because we we can look at it from from the behind the camera angle, not just from right. an audience perspective. Well, that's what we, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, we know what goes into making to making movies like this, and we know the logistics behind it: dealing with special effects, dealing with practical effects, right. dealing with actors, dealing with trying trying to set up a scene. Think of the, if you think of the logistics of trying to do this big ass scene. Okay, the scene is you've got a waterfront property. The whole place is turned into a pretty much turned into a carnival. You've got extras all over the place. You've got actors working amongst the extras, and then you've got a giant alligator that comes up and terrorizes the party. And then you've got stunts going on all over the place. One of them was a fire stunt. Okay, so you've got all, all of these moving parts trying to put this. Yeah, yeah, trying to put this fucking scene together, and then you have a script that doesn't offer you a lot to work with. So you've got to think on you've got to think on the fly. So the director's got the script, and he sits in pre-production. He sits down, and he's got his team behind him. They work with the script, say, "How can we do this? How can we do this? How can we do this?" It doesn't matter because, as Eugene will attest, as Johnny will you will attest, as I will attest, you can plan as much as you like when you get on on the night especially when you're shooting at night, which has its own problems. Yes, when you get on the night, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what the environment's going to throw at you, what the actors are going to throw at you, what the practical effects are going to do if something crazy is going to happen. Just ask the cast of Jaws how often the shark didn't fucking work. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens sometimes, no matter how much you plan. And so here's a dude who has got this script, realizes he can't do much with it, but goddamn, we're going to make a fucking movie. There's a deadline to do this, and right. I'm going to try and do it and you know, do it as interestingly as possible. And I, I applaud the effort. Mm. He could have just done, fuck it, man. Alligator go through, shoot the fucking wide, get some close-ups, do the stunt, right. fuck it, and let's, and let's move on to the next day. He could have done that. But man, I applaud a dude who will say, you know what, there's not much here. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take some inspiration. I'm gonna try and do something interesting. Right. Here. Yeah. The minute I saw that, I was like, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's one of the things I wanted to stress the most because, again, me being one of the most negative people on this show, I, I wanted to make sure that people understood that we're not just tearing apart your film. We're no. tearing apart you. <laughs> I'm, totally kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we do recognize, like we do recognize when, when these directors and filmmakers take risks. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. When they don't work, we're going to point it out. Exactly. I mean, this is, and I can imagine this would be an extremely difficult, uh, difficult production to work on. Not only do you have big, big, huge, intricate sets like you have uh, one of. <laughs> not only do you have big, intricate sets like the big party scene with you know the the carnival and everything, but you've also got enclosed scenes like when they're when they're running through the sewer tunnels. Those are difficult to shoot. You have the big the big attack scene where the, where everybody's standing in waist high water or almost chest deep water. And you've got a bunch of like actors yeah. running around and the giant alligator, and you've got to convey people panicking and screaming and water going all over the place. Actors doing stunt work where they're going, where they're being dragged underwater. 
it's it, it yeah. inherently the most expensive work in film or water scenes water and not to yeah. mention they're dangerous yes that's the there is, most yeah. very expensive there's an inherent danger in shooting in water yep. and not not just, just just the fact that you have expensive camera equipment and all the lighting and all the shit that goes around on the water and you got to deal with that but especially when you're dealing in an enclosed space full right. of water and a giant and a giant alligator that's supposed to do stuff and then uh, the logistics that go into these things are fucking mind-boggling and the fact that they got it in the can, it's a coherent story, and there's some there's some inspired moments in it. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, it's not much that I can say, but I think it's enough. And I think it, it'll at least for those who enjoy what was trying to be done, you can look at this and be like, ah, I can see what they were going for. You know, I really can. And right. at least that's something. Nobody, they weren't lazy on it. There, this wasn't lazy filmmaking. Yeah, right. They worked yeah. hard to make a movie. Unfortunately, they just didn't have a lot to work with. It, it's just basically the fact that they worked hard on it, and it doesn't. It comes across as a big budget movie, or at least a decent sized budget movie. And it's just one of the things that missed the mark here and there. And it was. It seemed like they focused so much on the action stuff and on the stuff with the alligator that. Uh, some of the other areas fell flat in terms of the story and and because you're right it's, you're shooting in water it's difficult to shoot in water you got water box you have lights you got to worry about people getting electrocuted and all sorts of kind of stuff all these safety features you have somebody inside an alligator being rolled like a death roll underwater so you have these yeah. water stunts yep. and it, it can be very difficult and very dangerous it's just where a movie like us stands up is the characterization in the story. It's like once Aaron, what Aaron said earlier, that foundation of the plot, the characters that you care about, and Jaws felt like, okay, this is something new I haven't seen before, whereas in Alligator 2, was like I felt like I have seen this before. Like right. Maybe if Jaws never came out, or maybe if Jaws never existed, maybe this movie might be a, like, a higher regard, but it's because everybody's going to go back to Jaws because mm-hmm. Jaws did it first, yeah. and Jaws did it better, what, 20 years, almost 20 years ago. Damn you, Spielberg! Damn <laughs> you! You ruined Damn. it for all of us! I know we can play with the sharks. Damn it. <laughs> but, I, actually, I want to ask the audience, because we have been talking about remakes, and we've been talking about uh, possible remakes on other stuff, and, like, The Lost Boys and things they shouldn't remake. <laughs> they should so true should they remake alligator 2 does the alligator franchise need a remake to boost because this is a type of movie and i'll be honest this is a type of movie i feel like what the right filmmakers could do it better i think yeah they could. yeah i agree i agree i think but, they could i think they could do a mutant alligator movie and there's been other alligator movies oh, like that you yeah, had, I mean, you like had crawl you had Crawl, which was about like lots of alligators instead of one giant alligator. Then you had movies like Primeval and you movies like and the movie Rogue, which was about which is based on actual stories of real giant alligators that actually exist in the world. But I think the mutant alligator, like the mutant monster thing, sure. And I know they did Lake Placid, you know, and but Lake Placid was more of a horror comedy. 
Basically, technically, that was kind of a comedy horror because it was yeah. way more, way funnier than it was yeah. scary. Because all of um, them fucking hilarious. Oh, they were all amazing in that. <laughs> Brendan Gleeson, uh, fucking Oliver Platt, Betty White, yeah, uh, Bill yeah, Bolton, yeah, like, Richard Fonda. They were all magnificent in that movie. Yeah, when that again, fucker came out of the water and took that bear, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not taking anything away from from Brendan Gleeson or Bill Pullman or it, no, Oliver Platt made that movie <laughs> and, and followed by a very close second with betty white those two yep. characters yep. allowed the humor to come through in the sarcasm of brendan gleason the sarcasm of the other characters so yeah they were great is this your deputy <laughs> I think he was taller. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah. But he's hanging upside down. So, are you okay? Could you let me down now, please? <laughs> yeah. Oh, everyone was so brilliant to that one. Um, I well, you know, and yes, there is an alligator flam franchise, alligator one, alligator two. May I don't know if they could go back to it or they could do the mutant monster thing again. I like the mutant monster sub subgenre. I, I enjoy it. I like the kind of like man screwing with nature, you know, stories. Um, I think that they could, that this is a movie, that, that this is a franchise that could be rebooted and made kind of interesting, especially with what they can accomplish in it today with practical effects and, and of course, CGI. Um, I just think, you know, the technology is there to make something really, really cool. But that's just me. You know, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for it. But let us know in the comments below, of course, at weekendhorrorgmail.com. Oh, we got All one right. more. And All this right, is Johnny. gonna be quick. Yeah. All right, take us home. He <laughs> 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 fucking ran away. <laughs> oh man. And you met the man. So I know, which is why this movie is so just Oh, artisan. That's your first clue that's gonna be a shit movie right there. <laughs> just God damn. I know. This, yeah. Go, take, just go ahead and break it down, man. Candyman Day of the Dead is a 1999 American supernatural slasher film directed by Turi Mayer and starring Tony Todd and Donna Dierico. Basically, Donna Dierico is an art dealer who reluctantly summons the Candyman because she needs to really piss poorly read her lines and almost show us her boobs and it's and for so a playboy play me that's it for for a playboy play me that's kind of odd yeah I mean, right like, so what yeah. do you do in this movie like are you titties all around titties all around her but you know, but not hers like come <laughs> but not on, hers that's the only, <laughs> look again I'm, I'm not to disparage women but she is a terrible actress when you have to go to Baywatch, <laughs> yeah <laughs> when you have to go to Baywatch and get the worst of the of the actress from the Baywatch series her, I'm sorry, and I and and all due respect, her scream was fucking terrible. It was awful. There was nothing. That is not. A, that is not like a she, scream. I swear to God, it's like she got the script the day before the shoot, and she's like, "I have to scream." Ah! It was more like it was more like ee! like. <laughs> This is not a comic book. This is not like e like yeah. like a word bubble. It's like come on. Yeah, it's it was, just so bad, and. No, like there's a bunch of characters in this that nobody gives a shit about. Nobody cares. The story is so terrible. The the film the film is okay. 
and I, this 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 breaks my heart because I love Tony Todd. Tony Todd's me. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I, love, I met Tony Todd. I got a picture of Tony Todd. I got Tony Todd. Where is he? He's over here. You can't see him. But he, right over here. Tony was one of my favorite scary movie guys, one of my favorite actors. I love him in just about everything he does. And then this fucking piece of shit comes out after the second movie, which was kind of a piece of shit. But this one really hammers in the piece of shit. Right. Love the fucking Candyman franchise. They almost ruined. There's going to be a fourth one until this one came out. And then they said, no, we're not going to it do took, that. And, and this was 1999, and it took yeah. till 2021, till 2021, over 20 years. To get another one. To, or no, it took 1999, 2009, 2019. Yeah, over 20 oh, years God. to get the Jordan Peele uh, reboot, yeah. which I will say kind of restored some. A little bit. Rest, restored, yeah. Yeah, restored the, the character a little bit. But in this particular one, it, it, it virtually almost killed the franchise. This one was absolutely, it was a hackneyed and unbecoming film that in my personal opinion, and I think that you guys, y'all might agree with me, was ultimately di- ultimately disrespectful to the character in itself. Yeah. Now I understand, like story-wise, they tried to go in a direction, tried to add some depth to the character and try to, but he make, they make him into like this tragic anti-hero where he's not in control of the circumstances instead of the, the evil urban legend that he was in the first film with Virginia Madsen. And yeah. they lose everything that makes it powerful from the adaptation of Clive Barker's original work. So Clive Barker's original work, it was not a, a black dude. It was like it was just this urban legend of this of this killer, and it, it didn't look anything. Yeah. All of the stuff that was in the very first movie was ori- was originally added, and Tony Todd brought it, and he fucking owned it. And that's him. why he's a horror icon. It's yeah. why Candyman is up there. But then just the it, the I don't know what happened in this one, and I know Tony Todd brought his all. He's he's a professional. He's not gonna you know he's gonna work with what he's got. I do like the improvements kind of in the practical effects of when he opens up the, the coat and everything and it's, you know, that the, the lungs were breathing in. And I, I like what the, the kind of what they did with that, but it was cheap and it yep. was a, it just a knockoff of what it is. And I don't think it was, like I said, it, it was hackneyed and unbecoming. It's, they, 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 look, it's one of those late 90s CW style horror films. Every yep. horror movie that came out, you know, late 90s, early 2000s had yep. that stupid CW look to it. And that's the reason why they got titties mcgee who doesn't show us titties it, it became it became more on looks than yep. it is on yeah. performance because virginia madsen does a stellar performance in the first yes. one she she i love tony todd and tony todd does a fantastic job in the first one but if virginia didn't bring it that movie wouldn't has hold, held up as well because it's all from her perspective and her journey it's her story yes it is it's her story and so she does such a fucking compelling job and that's what really solidifies that that movie Candyman is great yeah. and then you just take all that away and you get some playboy playmate which i mean i'm gonna be um, i'll be honest with you if you i've never i don't i've never seen a playboy playmate in a movie that said that's you know what she really did act well you mean you didn't like barbarella oh yeah yeah or was it barb yeah barb wire barb wire that's what yeah. it was barbed wire or Victoria Silverstead in basket and basketball kind of thing. Victoria Silverstead, Playmate of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, Jenny they, McCarthy was funny in basketball, so there's that. Doing what Jenny McCarthy does best. Yeah. Sucking the chrome off a trailer hitch. So <laughs> the, I gotta the, say, hang on a second before you go <laughs> I gotta say something. I gotta say something. Talking about the Candyman franchise. Mm-hmm. The first one, great movie great movie right 
Regina Madsen, the, the story there, right? Like, that's the one I wanted to, you know, that's because of the story. She's the missing, she's the woman. And, and then the second one, we got another, another, she's the woman. And the third one, we got another, she's the woman. Is the Candyman just some horny old dude looking for hot blonde women? That was a that that was a weird aspect. Was like that's supposed to be his great granddaughter, like his descendant. That and movie he's is like, supposed to take place this year, like right now, because it's twenty five years after the first one, so it'd be taking yeah. place right now. And it looks like it took place in the nineties. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> I'm sitting here like 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 I said, it was the, ultimately I think the the film was disrespectful to Tony Todd. It was disrespectful to the character that he created. It was disrespectful to the fans of the first it was one. Disrespectful to me, fuckers. It, yeah, it was, and and like we, like Aaron Ree says, it was during that era they were trying for edgy and they failed almost every time. They absolutely yes. did. The, the 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 one thing that bothered me and one thing I really didn't like. That I didn't think about this plot was was it was one major thing, and that was the Day of the Dead setting. Is that first and foremost, I found that it was just, that they just took the Day of the Dead setting and they just tacked it on for visual appeal. Yeah, but there was a problem there. If you're going to do something like that, and you're going to use a like a cult like a real culturally significant uh, setting, which Dia de los Muertos is very very important. To a grand culture in this uh, on this yeah, planet, but we shift. But if, we're, we're shifting from the exactly. Louisiana. But if you're going to use the setting, use the fucking setting appropriately. Right now, in this one, it felt like it was tacked on. This is you know there there is a I will say there is a distinct difference between Dia de los Muertos celebrated in Southern California and Dia de los Muertos celebrated in New Orleans, and from a filmmaking perspective. I found that in so that, that setting this during setting this during the incident during in Southern California during that time, just d- it doesn't work. It feels very weird. It, it emphasizes the fact that this was just tacked on for visual appeal. So mm-hmm. you can have a sequence of people running around in costumes, and then you can have the Candyman appear among them, and nobody thinks the di- thinks you know differently of it because you know hey everyone's all dressed all edgy and shit. Daniel Robitaille, the the character and in, in all the backstory they gave him is it has French background. And I'm thinking this from a story, from a writing perspective. If I was looking at this as a writer, the character has a French background. The character is, it is literally descended from slaves, from the, from the slave trade, is, mm-hmm. is how they've written it. And those slave trades came through the French Guiana slave trade. And obviously, I, I'm thinking probably most likely through Haiti and then into Haiti New and Orleans as part right. of the French slave trade. Right. And that's where that it should have been set in New Orleans. Well, then, yeah. Well, so the original, yeah. that's where the, the lore was pulled from. And even though the second one is a terrible movie, they still stuck to that that French Quarter lore. And this one here, like, right. nah, we're going to get we're going to imagine those sequences set around La- imagine those sequences set around Lafayette right. or set around the French Quarter. Oh, yeah. right. Those would have been amazing, so and it wouldn't have and... felt like we're just like grabbing this to throw it in there because when right. you just do that, it's highly disrespectful mm-hmm. of of the culture that you're representing because you're not really representing them. You're just using them as a prop. And I didn't, that just stood out like a square, it stood out like a sore thumb. Setting it in New Orleans would have been a smarter decision because then you could say it's ostensibly it's taking place during the time, but the history and the, and the culture of New Orleans and right. its ties to that time period would have played better and it would have been more honest to the story. Exactly. Not to mention yeah. it would have been a part of the actual lore that they took two films to, to build. So it, it, yeah, I found it to be it, just ultimately disrespectful of the icon. It's no wonder that it almost killed the franchise. But um, it I'll did say at kill least, the franchise. Oh yeah, it, 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 it kind of did kill yeah, the franchise. It, yeah. yeah. And it took Jordan Peele after Get Out 
and us he had and, a, and, and all of his work. Gigantic fucking home yeah. runs. Like, hey, can we do Candyman? You're like, all right, all right. Fine. At this point, yeah, you we'll, can do we'll pretty much whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I was, I was, it was just, uh, it was, the movie was annoying. I found it to be disrespectful. I wanted to apologize to Tony Todd, even though I had nothing to do with this movie. And I was like, <laughs> I'm so sorry that you had to endure this. You know but what I will I'd probably say? I'm not. Uh, the <laughs> but I will say this. And this would be, I will say this. There was a bit of, there's a little bit of redemption, not from this film, but I will get, I will give this. Now, I know that Jordan Peele came out with the new Candyman and Tony Todd was in that and it was, and it was good and kind of like, it, it, it brought some, it, it kind of like brought the, brought the character back and, and paid respect to it. And that was a good thing. But if you want something really fun, if you want something really homage, there was an MTV series based on Scream. And this is weird that I'm bringing this up. I, I understand this, okay? And the Scream MTV, the MTV, the MT, oh, the Scream MTV series. The first two seasons were, yeah, okay, uh, not, yeah, not so much. Uh, just kind of retreads of the original others. But the third season was actually pretty impressive. First, first and foremost, because they they got the rights to use the Ghostface costume, so we got a legitimate Ghostface in it. But the second part, but the big thing about it is that in the third season of Scream for the MTV series. Tony Todd was in that. So it was in that uh, mm-hmm. season, and he played a Vietnam veteran who ran a junkyard where a big fight scene goes down, and he plays a Vietnam veteran with a hook for a hand. Oh, that's yeah. yeah. And so we got a fight between Tony Todd with a hook for a hand and Ghostface. And Ghostface, yeah. So I will just <laughs> throw that out there. If you have not seen this, there was some pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. So I will say we, we there were some people there who who still respect how to bring it back. So. I thought that was very, very cool. Uh, but, yeah. Um, the fact that that is the only redeeming thing from Candyman 3 tells you how good of a movie Candyman <laughs> yeah, not, not, is. <laughs> yeah, it's just not great. And then, and fortunately, it did it did kill the franchise. And, of yeah. course, because Tony Todd is just a, f- a fucking living legend um, and such a classy, classy dude. You know, fortunately, you know, We'll always respect him, and and thank you, Jordan Peele, too, for you know reinvigorating the franchise. Because hopefully, we can get more. It may not be with Tony Todd; he may he may have hung it up, but uh, hung up the hook. But uh, you know, at least we went out on a positive note instead of going out on this piece of shit. That th- what felt like that the, 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 the filmmakers yeah. didn't understand what they were doing with this. They didn't get it. They didn't grasp it. I don't want to blame this on the filmmakers. I'm blaming this on studios. I'm blaming yeah, this I, on producers. Is, on yeah, I the same thing. I, I blame it on a studio. Probably a contractual obligation because mm-hmm. sometimes you get contracted for multiple movies and then it's like the studio just wants it and you know, so some people just want to get paid, so that's yep. how it gets that's how it gets made. That's it's, what this, kept yeah. happening with Hellraiser. Yeah, Dimension kept it, it came up to time where they had to make another Hellraiser film, or Dimension would lose the rights to the the franchise, so they would put out another one. Like you could tell too that that one the what was it uh, the one without the first one without uh, Clive without um, uh, Dud Bradley. Dud Bradley, yeah, Bradley. yeah, the first one without him. They 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 made that entire movie not just shot. Not just filmed it, but the entire movie took them fucking eighteen days to make. Was they it had... like Judgment? Something Ju- like that? Was that the first no, one? No, that was the second one. Okay, I didn't like that one either. The first one was like, I didn't. Re- didn't matter. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. I don't even care. I'm not even looking yeah. up. 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, I don't even care. Doesn't care. But, you know, so maybe that's what Artisan did. Like, well, we got the rights to this movie. We need to make a film or we're going to lose them. And just produce this shit. Yeah. And he just churned it out. Just, just like the first tanked. Fantastic Four movie. Just yeah. tanked it. Just yep. tanked it. Yep. Well, that's all I want to say about that movie. I do have a question, though. So we do have the reboot. We do have Jordan Peele's reboot. What do you guys think? Is it a good reboot or is it a bad reboot? What are your opinions on it? Would you like to see more in the Jordan Peele style of storytelling? Let us know at theweekendhorror at gmail.com or in the side chat or in the comment section down below. Kind of curious. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting take on the Candyman series. It definitely was not a cash grab. You know, you tell this is a passion project for mm-hmm. for Jordan Peele. So I give him that. He actually cares about the story. He cares about the characters. He cares about putting a good product out. So it's nice think to see it back. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just think it's funny because I'm looking over the comments, and as we're talking about Candyman, no one's talking about it in the comments. Everybody's yeah. talking about Barbarella. Barbarella, yeah. <laughs> I will say, I will say, it was it was nice to see the franchise back in the hands of someone who gave a shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan P. I do cash grabs, which is yep. oh, all right. So it is about that time because I know we're getting a little bit long, but it is trivia time. That's what she said. Yes, it is. So trivia time, and today uh, we are giving away a Weekend Horror Limited Edition number five shirt because that one is not long for the store. While we are finalizing designs on the next limited edition shirt, uh, this one is soon to be leaving the store. So here we go for a limited edition number five shirt, the one that features Aaron as the best intern ever. Here is your trivia question. So get those Google fingers ready. Ahem. Ahem. What was the first film in the eight-film Corman Poe cycle? Now say it again. What was the first film in the eight-film Corman Poe cycle? Let us know. First answer in the live chat gets a Weekend Horror Limited Edition number five shirt. Or the first correct answer. The first one to get the answer correct. So who's got it? Who's got it? What was the first film in the eight film Corman Poe cycle? Mm-hmm. Oh, I almost went. I almost did the the Jeopardy theme. Can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we, oh, we got a couple answers so far, and no, uh, not the Telltale. No, Heart. not yet. It was yeah, mm-hmm. wasn't Telltale Hard Tony Regime, Ivy Gentry, Gosh Pack Fire. It was uh, certainly oh well, yeah, the Sound of Music. <laughs> <laughs> Angel Riviera. Boom, Angel Rivera. Weekend Horror Limited Edition number five shirt. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Goes to Angel Rivera. Joshua Lee was close. Close right second. behind him. Close second. Antonio Rodriguez said Pit in the Pendulum. And he says, I don't even understand the question. For a little <laughs> bit of context, Roger Corman did, had, had what is called the Poe Cycle, where he did a series of films. He did eight films. There were all inspirations from the works of Edgar Allan Poe. It's called the it's called Corman's Poe Cycle, and the very first film in that cycle was House of Usher. Yep, Tales yep. of Terror was another one of those yep. in, in that cycle. So, um, but congratulations to Angel Rivera. You have won yourself a Weekend Horror Limited Edition number five shirt. We'll get that printed and sent out to you ASAP. Thank you so much. And uh, I think that that's going that's that's going to be it. The pain that's is it. over, gentlemen. Yes, it is. Oh, oh what? Okay. Yes, <laughs> Travis Brown says, Travis Brown says Angel Rare didn't win because she's uh, because 
He said House Fusher. Um, we don't hold that against people. Typing like that. It, it, it's typeos house... are okay. Typeos are okay. <laughs> typeos are all right. If you're, yeah, if you're close enough. It's like fall, fall of the house of Usher. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And that brings another episode of Weekend Horror to a close. Thank you all so much for listening, and we truly hope you enjoyed the show. Join us next week when we look back at the werewolf prequel, Jim's Back to the Beginning, the indie slasher, The Butcher, the torture porn extravaganza, Captivity, and the quiet terror of Found. A massive shout out to all of our amazing patrons who continue to help us make Weekend Horror the incredible success it has become. Thank you all so much. Joshua Olson does all of our, all of our amazing artwork for his show, and his designs are incredible. Hit his store up at, at www.badsamurai.store. Remember, www.badsamurai.store. For more horror fun, be sure to follow us on all the socials for daily horror posts. And be sure to combat the evil, evil algorithm by dropping a comment, liking, subscribing, and smashing the living fuck out of that bell. And lastly, if you love what we do here and you would like to and are able to support our production, you can by joining and enjoying the tasty benefits of one of our many Patreon tiers. But if Patreon is not your favorite stocking method, you can always support us directly through our PayPal. Links to everything, including our Discord community, where you can hang out with us, are all in the description below. And remember, the goal is global horror domination, and we can't do it without you. We can't do it without you, our amazing audience. So pretty please, with severed, infested head of Clint Howard on top, go share the absolute fuck out of our little show. Thank you all for being the greatest audience a podcast can have. I'm Eugene. I'm some fat guy. <laughs> and I'm JL. <laughs> and we'll see you guy. next week. And as always, stay scared. I'm going to get you to say your fucking name eventually. Your fucking name eventually. <laughs> <laughs>